Well, good morning. If you're a guest with us, my name is John. I'm a pastor uh, here at Fifth Church, and it's great to be worshiping with you. We're in the midst of a, uh, a series that's taking us through the season of Lent. And if you, if you happen to be kind of uh, maybe newer to the church or the, or the Christian faith, the, uh, the season in the church year called Lent is intended to parallel the 40 days that Jesus spent being tempted in the wilderness. That's a story that's unpacked in the Bible. And uh, the, way, the way it goes is that God, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness where, where Jesus was confronted with uh, pretty much all the big categories of temptation and struggle that, that we grapple with, uh, a- ambition and approval uh, and appetite. And he, he wrestled with that. And the, the great comfort that we derive from that as followers of Jesus is that God uh, came in flesh, in person, and has experienced the stuff that we experience. It's not like God is way off there somewhere and can't relate to, to what we're experiencing. We believe that God has been confronted with these things and, and he knows what it's like to be us. And, and this, is, uh, this is the amazing promise that, that Jesus really is with us. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. But the promise is much more than just that he was at the beginning and made everything and that he'll be at the end, you know, like when we die to this life or something. Jesus himself promised to be with us until the end uh, as his followers, if, if we're in Christ. So we're, we're practicing that reality during Lent, Christ with us. And a great way to engage that, a very practical tool in our uh, box is the book of Psalms because the Psalms are really God's prayer book that he gave to his people, prayer book and hymn book. And they, they cover almost every emotion that a human being could experience, every, every kind of trial and struggle. And a full third of them are known as Psalms of Lament, where people are just crying out to God. And the basic message is, God, where are you? Because I sure don't feel like you're here. I feel like, I'm, I feel like my prayer's going to thin air. I feel like... I look up trying to see you, the, the ceiling is a five-foot ceiling and I'm just closed in. Where are you, God? So this Lenten series is taking us through the Psalms as, as tools to practice the reality that Christ is with us. And last week we looked at Psalm 32 and, and this idea of relief from guilt because that Psalm moves uh, uh, through the, the process of repentance that there, there's a real spiritual truth here when we keep things secret and hidden it eats away at us. Our bones waste away. It's exhausting emotionally and spiritually. And when we finally, you know, open up and make ourselves vulnerable to other people, not, not everybody, like the, the few trusted partners, spiritual advisors, you know, we just say, this is what's really going on. The psalmist said, man, it was like I was made completely new again. I was, I was in bondage, but now I'm free. You know, I'm, this, is, this is real life now again. Christ with us. Jesus is inviting us to repent, to change our thinking if we're stuck in anything that's really not following after him, right? And it's not punishment, it's all invitation. So Psalm 32. This week we look at Psalm 121 and its message of help in helplessness. So let's listen to the text. Psalm 121. 
I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. I really appreciate uh, the Christian author, Eugene Peterson. He's the one responsible for this paraphrase of the Bible known as the message, with which you might be familiar. And he, he wrote a little book on uh, the Psalms of Ascent. And this, this psalm is one of those. This is a little package of psalms uh, that were sung by uh, pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem for holy days. And this is one of the Psalms of Ascent. And I love what Peterson wrote as an introduction to this psalm. It's a couple paragraphs, but it's so good I wanted to read it for you. Listen to this. The moment we say no to the world and yes to God, all our problems are solved, all our questions answered, all our troubles over. Nothing can disturb the tranquility of the soul at peace with God. Nothing can interfere with the blessed assurance that all is well between me and my Savior. Nothing and no one can upset the enjoyable relationship that has been established by faith in Jesus Christ. We Christians are among that privileged company of persons who don't have accidents, who don't have arguments with our spouses, who aren't misunderstood by our peers, whose children do not disobey us. If any of those things should happen, a crushing doubt, a squall of anger, a desperate loneliness, an accident that puts us in the hospital, an argument that puts us in the doghouse, a rebellion that puts us on the defensive, a misunderstanding that puts us in the wrong, it's a sign that something is wrong with our relationship with God. We have consciously or unconsciously retracted our yes to God and God, impatient with our fickle faith, has gone off to take care of someone more deserving of his attention. Is that what you believe? If it is, I have incredibly good news for you. You're wrong. Um, You know, sometimes it's embarrassing to figure out we've been completely wrong about something. And I would imagine you, like me, have had the exact opposite experience where you find out you're wrong and everything in you says, I am so glad I was wrong. You had one of those? Uh, Psalm 121 might be for you a gentle voice saying, you're wrong about what it means to follow Jesus and then showing you the right way. Not the embarrassing kind of wrong, not the stick it in your face kind of wrong, uh, the, the, the kind of wrong that we welcome as a relief because in realizing we're wrong, it is because we've seen a much better way. That's what this is about. 
You know, it's a very natural follow-up to last week's message when we initially accept the invitation to repent, to turn from whatever it is that has been distracting us from God and, and causing separation in our relationship with God and others and all of that. Whenever, whenever we turn from that back to the Lord, the experience is really quite profound. I mean, for, for some it feels like all of a sudden everything's fixed. Like, wow, this is, this is all that I needed. This is the answer that will permanently remove any struggle or element of suffering from my life. It's the secret answer that makes everything easier and better. And to quote Peterson again, for many, the first great surprise of the Christian life is in the form of the troubles we meet. Because this doesn't fix everything. You know, believing in Jesus following Jesus actively does, does not make everything easier and better. You know, I have a profound experience with God and then run smack into a wall. And we, we wonder if all this stuff about God was real in the first place. And, and we wonder, can God really help? I mean, I mean really now. You know, not, I mean, life is real and it can be a real mess. Is there real help? And that's what the psalmist was asking. This is very vulnerable and transparent. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Is there help? Not just, you know, kind of the spiritual silo of my life. Not just improving my self-talk through religious ideas. I mean... Is there help, really, or not? Because the dangers are real. I mean, we all know this. The psalm lists kind of ancient world dangers that the people back then would feel acutely. Oh, Jerusalem was up in the mountains, so any pilgrimage to Jerusalem for, a, for a, a, a holy day would have been going up to Jerusalem. You see that language used in the Bible. We go up to Jerusalem. Literally, they were going up. And they're walking up mountain trails where if you fall to the right, I've, I've walked some of these. If you fall to the right, it's a couple 300 feet down a steep slope into a ravine. You won't stop rolling until you hit the bottom. On the left, it's sheer face. No climbing that. You got this much space. Which, by the way, land, uh, lends a whole different perspective on the Good Samaritan, Right? the guy on the side of the road he wasn't like way over there he was like right here to walk around him you had to go like this right but the, the dangers on that little road are real you know your foot might slip these are recorded in the psalm we're not going to look at all of them but your foot might slip and down you go it's hot in the desert you might be overcome by the sun and the heat of the day sunstroke you might be overcome by the emotional strain of this journey. Moonstroke, as it was understood. Lunacy is our word. The emotional pressure of it all. The list of dangers can be updated quite easily to our day. You know, it's an unpredictable world. One assault rifle plus one person with mental illness or ill intent or both equals big problem. Disease breaks through our illusion of immortality to reveal finally and fully that we are not in control. I mean, how many of us had heard the phrase coronavirus six months ago? 
There's danger in the routine and mundane. For most of us, the single most dangerous thing we do today will be, anybody know? Yeah, riding in your car. Uh, The scurry of life, along with technological advancements in the Western world, led to less face-to-face relationship, promises of improved productivity, and all it's delivering is higher rates of depression and suicide. The emotional strain is very real. And with, with real danger afoot, the psalm asks this question. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And when we try to live out a life of faith, we bump into trouble and hardship and pain and suffering. These are real. And we we look to the mountains, meaning we look around for help. Is there help? And what's meant by this look to the mountains picture? Is Is it just about a person gazing on kind of the beauty of creation and grappling with the philosophical question, you know, I lift up my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? It it is not about that. Contextually, in ancient Palestine, there were all sorts of spiritual options. It was a spiritual smorgasbord of, of religion, really. And many of the pagan worship practices, which were the most popular, were practiced on the hilltops, on the mountaintops. Shrines were set up there. Temple prostitutes hired. Uh, The fertility gods were sought, besieged, and appeased through ritual practices. There were fortune tellers and spellcasters and all sorts of other spiritualized stuff, all geared toward offering a single thing. Help. Is there really help? With that in mind, the psalm reads quite differently. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? From all the stuff that happens on those hilltops? From that spiritual buffet of options? Or from somewhere or someone else? The psalmist answers The question, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help doesn't come from the mountains or from any spiritual shyster hawk and human-made religion. My help comes from the one who made those mountains. And the prophet Jeremiah said it plain. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. All that stuff that happens on the hilltops is a fake. It was back then, it is today. And God is real. Not a religious idea, but a person and a person who helps. John Calvin said Psalm 21 was written to those who, quote, disregarding God, gaze to a distance all around them and make long and devious circuits in quest of remedies to their troubles. But we don't have to do that. We can stop the search because in Jesus, our help has come from the maker of heaven and earth. And we say this every week when we gather. Remember that at the beginning? It's called a declaration of trust, I think, in your worship guide. In our formal liturgy, it's called the votum, 
We, we don't just say it because it's a religious thing to do. We say it because it's true. People of Jesus Christ, in whom are you trusting? And you say, say it with me. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We, every time we say that, we should remember, there's help for real. And it's not from any of the options on the spiritual buffet. It's from the one who made the mountains for real. That's why we say that. There, I know there are people in our congregation with military experience. If you, if you have some military experience, you're probably familiar with the term overwatch. Overwatch is a force protection tactic where one unit takes a position where it can observe a lower unit in a more vulnerable position, watching for danger that the ground unit can't see. The phrase watch over is repeated five times in this psalm. It's not that we don't have trouble. It's not that trouble in life reveals that God is absent. Quite the opposite. God is our overwatch all the time. God sees and knows every danger, hurdle, and obstacle we might and do face. And the amazing promise is this. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The creator of the universe has overwatch for you. The one who's all-knowing, all-powerful is our overwatch in Christ. Really? Wow! I mean, this psalm is a powerful tool to, to drive this reality from our heads to our hearts and to help us address the real questions in life, like what's really going on here? How do I fit in? And who am I? The Bible offers answers to all these things. Big picture, what's really going on here? God is about a grand renewal project and Jesus is our help, helping our everyday, helping the struggle with sin in the present, helping every trouble we meet. We can turn to him, really. The Bible also offers a a clear picture of how we fit in. This great renewal project is the story of which we have a part. We're co-workers in that. With God, says the scriptures. What amazing purpose in life, really invited into this project of redemption and renewal. What's going on? How do I fit in? Finally, who am I? The question of the day, isn't it? I mean, everywhere, identity issues, identity politics, gender identity, grappling and clawing we are in our culture to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? I mean, I I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus knows us And that we can take the first line of the Lord's Prayer as evidence that he understands our need for identity because he reminds us of our primary identity as Christians. When he says, when you pray, he's not suggesting you just repeat these words every time you pray, but basically saying as a pattern for prayer, when you pray, start here. Our Father in heaven. Our Abba in heaven. That phrase reminds us of our identity. We're children of the king, not by anything we've done, because of what Jesus has done for us. And, and, and like kids with uh, loving parents, we can 
trust our parents, rely upon them, run to them, reach up for a hug. We, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And the Bible goes on and on to, to help us understand who we are in Christ when at Jesus' baptism, God spoke words over him. If we're in Christ, my understanding is that we can understand God's words that he spoke over Jesus as words that God speaks over us today. Remember that? Jesus was baptized and God said, this is my son, my daughter, whom I love. With him, her, I am well pleased. Did you catch that? In Christ, God speaks that over you. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love and with whom I'm pleased. Ours is not a faith of a great heavenly father sitting up in heaven on some big easy chair, arms crossed, wondering when we're going to get it together. It's not that message. I mean, God is our help in the very real struggles of life, it fosters a Psalm 46 kind of faith, you know, solid, massive, the secure experience of God who protects us from all evil, not from all pain and suffering. Protects us from all evil. I mean, the Lord really is our help when we feel helpless, for real. Jesus is alive right now. And the living Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. That's the final verse of the psalm. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Receive that (laughs) as the promise it is intended to be. It's good news in Jesus. We have help even when we feel helpless. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, would you? God, pour out your spirit upon us and help us because we need help. We need help. There's a variety of experiences that each of us have. We're we're at different places in life, but we need you. So God, please, by your spirit, help In the name of Jesus, amen.